Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Hello and welcome to another show of Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM. Uh, You're here tonight with Greg and Miles. Universities have a broad range of powers to ensure the general good order of the institution and discipline misconduct or misbehaviour of students. These powers can be far-reaching, extending from reprimands and issuing fines to excluding students from the university and expulsion. Today on the show we talk about these powers of universities and where these powers sit in an administrative law framework. We also take the opportunity to hear more about the University of Melbourne Student Union Legal Service a community legal centre based at Melbourne University for its students. Here to talk to us today about these issues is Phoebe Churches, the Manager of Advocacy and Legal, University of Melbourne Student Union. Phoebe has more than 30 years of experience working in advocacy and social justice in the community sector, starting out as a social worker, later retraining as a lawyer, and currently balancing both professions as the Manager of the Advocacy and Legal Division at UMSU. Phoebe, welcome to the show. Good to be here. I, I note that I said you had more than 30 years, and actually it's almost 30 years. I thought that was an important clarification. Yeah, well, okay, I started working when I was very, very young, and I was very precocious, <laughs> clearly. Phoebe, we might start talking more generally about the legal framework for university action against students. I note that you've um, worked supporting students in a number of different universities. What are the range of circumstances where a student might face action from a university? Uh, well, look, the, the, the powers of universities to um, uh, make allegations against students are actually extremely broad. Um, they're usually narrowed somewhat by uh, regulations, statutes and regulations in a policy framework. But even then, um, it often provides very, very uh, broad um, uh, powers to, uh, to, to issue allegations. Um, but typically, uh, the, the bread and butter of that sort of... Um, process would be uh, things like academic misconduct, which can include uh, misconduct in exams, so cheating in exams, um, plagiarism, uh, collusion, where students sort of help each other and they're not supposed to. Um, and increasingly, we're seeing um, the rise and rise of what's been uh, called, called contract cheating, which is where students buy their work off the mm. internet in a kind There's of an eBay sort of, yes, in some uh-huh. sort of dark market. Um, it's not actually that dark. It's very easy to find mm. these services. Uh, so that's a, that's a major concern for universities. And also um, uh, fraudulent documents, so providing um, fraudulent medical certificates to get special consideration or extensions or things like that uh, is also really on the rise. So it's a pretty broad range. And that's all on the academic side, I guess. Is there any other types of... That's true. Most of those sorts of matters would be dealt with under the sort of academic 
provisions and I guess there's also just general uh, misconduct matters. So um, any kind of um, thing that brings a university into disrepute, uh, uh, any kind of uh, assaults and things that don't actually result in an academic kind of advantage would be dealt with as, as general misconduct. And would you also see potentially protest stuff being dealt with as academic or sorry, as misconduct. Um, yeah, well, there certainly is. There's there's certainly uh, a potential for that because those powers are so broad. Um, and typically, I I think that is um, that's more of a PR issue for universities whether they actually enact. You know, there's obviously a discretion whether those those powers are exercised or not. And I think if there's a student protest, we'll usually advise students that they could be subject to disciplinary action, but they almost never. Are, unless probably they, you know, punch someone in the face or mm. something that might yeah. attract some attention. Typically, what's the process used by universities when they initiate these procedures? Uh, so the the general, the typical setup would be a. Uh, it's sometimes called quasi judicial, but I think using the term judicial in that context is a bit of an overstatement. They're they're lay lay tribunals that are um, generally. Um, constituted with staff who have um, no legal background and, and often very little training or familiarity with even sort of basic legal standards. So mm. they're, they're extremely – they're not informal in the sense that they actually have a meeting process and so on and they do um, <clears throat> they do follow certain rules, but they're, they're not bound by rules of evidence or any of those sorts of um, technicalities and they have a sort of a civil – uh, a, a civil uh, standard of proof, so it's balance of probabilities kind of thing. So they're, I mean, it sounds like they're, they, they take themselves seriously, it sounds like, um, yeah. but that it's not a particularly consistent or regulated process across the that, universities? That's or? a pretty good, that's a pretty good uh, summary of it. Um, and, and do these uh, members, I'm not sure what you would call them, do they get any kind of formal training about being uh, on the disciplinary panel or are they just people who volunteer because they're interested in the gig? So, I mean, I can't speak for for there's like 39 public universities in Australia, and yeah. they'd all have some sort of variation on on the theme. Mm. Um, and I would say, at some universities, there are much more rigorous processes than others. Mm. Um, and so, certainly at some universities, there could be you know considerable training, and people you know um, uh, you know may need to uh, do refreshes, and they have to record their decisions quite quite mm. carefully and all that sort of thing. But um, at a lot of universities, in, including um, the ones that I've worked at, it's been a, a, a generally a bit of a looser process and um, the the committees will be constituted according to the, the, the regulation um, that uh, provides the power. But it will typically be senior staff members who, who may not have significant training um, and we do find that from time to time is a bit of an issue. Mm. But the actual hearing itself, is it fairly formal or...? It's formal in so much as there's a meeting procedure. Uh, it's, it's not a free-for-all. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, again, some universities will have these open uh, as open processes so people can attend and watch. Um, other universities will, will have them, you know, as, as closed uh, processes. Um, and yeah, I mean they're formal uh, by virtue of following certain meeting procedures, but that would be, you know, they're not they're not um, they're not formal in any other respect necessarily. And what what's the I guess the legal framework from the university's perspective? What what governs the university's powers and what 
type of protections to do um, the particular procedures at universities usually provide for for the person who's subject to the proceedings? Yeah, um, the uh, the powers derived from the establishing legislation for um, for public universities, uh, and that that legislation would would generally um, make provision. Um, to for the universities to uh, make subordinate legislation, which is you know what in the form of statutes and regulations and policy instruments, um, and the um, uh, and and there's there's pretty settled case law, um, administrative case law that that um, that that suggests that that those all of those processes would be would attract the rules of procedural fairness. Um, and in some narrow cases um, would be subject potentially to judicial review outside the university, mm. yeah. And within, so typically are they a one-stage process like, or is there an internal review process as well? Um, yeah, look, typically, uh, again, I can't speak for all 39 public institutions, but I think it's, it's, um, it's fairly standard to have a two-tiered Process and um, you know the 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 procedural fairness um, is guaranteed at the at the top tier. So um, on the on the appeal um, and typically the the lower process would be a kind of a merit based process. Um, usually students would be involved in the committee as well as staff. Um, that that would be quite common. Um, and at the at the top level, which would be like the academic board or the equivalent, which is the the sort of final. Uh, decision-making body, uh, you would definitely expect a more rigorous process, and you know the um, uh, the decision makers would have no interest in previous interest or anything to do. You know, they'd be a totally Im- impartial decision makers. But at that first tier, you may well is it? Uh, am I to deduce from what you're saying that you may well have um, decision makers who have some connection to yeah. the student, either yep. their lecturer. The relevant lectures. Yeah, I mean that that can definitely happen, um, and uh, I, again, it would vary um, from institution to institution, and the and the, the um, specific procedures that that uh, each institution follows. Uh, but certainly, um, uh, until fairly recently, for example, at Melbourne, um, it, it was quite common for the person who raised the allegation to also sit as a decision maker at hmm. that first level. Yeah, which for a quite, legally trained person yeah. is quite surprising or anyone with just general sort of sense of fairness or common sense (laughs) yeah most people wouldn't want to be judged by their accuser no no and so those sort of legal standards which many of which are just those very broad well-known you know uncontroversial ones are not always in um not always in evidence but uh, there was a review of the um the processes at melbourne uni recently so um that has some of those things have been remedied and that's now you know that's not yeah. allowed under the regulations. Well, that, that's encouraging. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there are clearly some issues that um, are involved in the process. Um, are there any other kinds of issues that you um, can speak of or, or, or even students um, themselves or an- anecdotes of the experiences that they've um, had going through the system? Um, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, look, um, again, I've kind of confine myself to, to my direct, if I'm speaking anecdotally, mm. obviously, it's this, my direct experience and, and your mileage may vary. Um, but the, um, uh, the general um, problems do arise from staff, uh, the sta- I, no, I say they're always the staff, but we um, try 
train the student members on those committees um, quite rigorously in sort of principles that un- mm. that underlie good administrative decision making and they tend to actually be very good uh, often they teach the staff members on those committees <laughs> a few principles that they weren't aware of um, but by and large most of the problems arise just from um, you know ignorance of, of, of basic standards mm. um, and some of the things are probably less obvious but really could easily be taught to mm. to people things like the difference between um, the, the standard of proof and the standard of evidence. So we've got a lot of situations mm. where the interests um, at stake are really quite significant for students. You can think of an international student who's invested a, a lot of mm. money and time uh, who's facing a termination of their enrolment or an yeah. exclusion from a university. There's quite significant interests. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're facing a, a serious allegation where the evidence is often quite flimsy or circumstantial. And so, but trying to speak to a, a committee, even at an academic board level, um, about uh, um, Brigginshaw, for example, mm. you know, and, mm. and um, the, the sort of more nuanced basis of, you know, there is a standard of evidence that's different to the standard of proof. And how, even, even when their students are represented, sometimes it's very difficult and it's quite troubling how some of those decisions are. There's definitely errors of law going mm. on in there, I'm sure. And, and in terms of timing, um, I mean, some of the, the penalties that you've described sound quite severe, um, terminating enrolments and um, get, being excluded from uh, the university premises. Uh, how much time is devoted into, I guess, investigating these, type, these allegations and uh, how much time does a student a student get to prepare their case um, once they've received notice? And I suppose that's on the assumption that they actually receive notice. Yes, well, they're certainly supposed to receive notice, but yes, there are definitely um, deficient notices and there are deficiencies in the process. Um, I wouldn't say frequently. I mean, mm. it's the, the standard of, of you know procedure is, is reasonably high in most places because it's done a lot. Um, but in terms of... Um, yeah, Sometimes the, uh, at faculty level particularly, there'll be only a couple of days' notice instead of, you know, say 10 days or 20 days or whatever the, the, um, the, the uh, policy uh, allows for. Mm. Um, but it is based on that, that tenet of procedural fairness and, you know, the, the right to be heard. So um, there's usually enough notice. And is there also a right to kind of call evidence? I mean, how, like, yeah. in, with an allegation about, for example, cheating, how, how would a tribunal deal with establishing that that occurred? Yeah, well, look, again, that, that varies. There are some, some of these um, tribunals would be, they're, they're generally inquisitorial yeah. rather than adversarial, but there would be some that allow for um, cross-examination of, presentation of witnesses, cross-examination. So they're sort of semi um, adversary based um, and others uh, such as Melbourne Uni doesn't have any sort of clear provisions for that but it's it's a general um, allowance that the uh, that the tribunal that the committee can uh, inform itself how is it, however it sees fit so potentially you could bring in a witness uh, you could if they brought in somebody who acted as a witness you could ask to cross-examine them and that it shouldn't be unreasonably denied but mm. other other procedures will actually have that built in and I think the the university that um, uh, that I was at previously uh, did have a um, slightly more um, court-like processes, but it really it varies quite quite dramatically, um, and you know there's a lot of room, there's a lot of margin for error in there. 
Mm. Um, and you also have situations with plagiarism where there's, I think, increasing reliance on, I'm not sure if they still use it, but I remember um, when I was at uni that there was, a, there was software that could match up yep. um, essays and that type of thing yep. and, and lead to some percentage yes. calculation. Similarity index. Similarity. Yep. A, a person may want to hear evidence about how that yes. program works. Yes. Um, is, yes. Would, would that be... Could you, could you imagine a situation where that could be allowed or...? Yeah, yes, I mean, that, that there is potential for those things to happen. Um, I think that there's not a great appetite uh, on behalf of committees for that sort of, <laughs> yeah. that sort of um, process. But, uh, look, I, I've certainly had situations where I've assisted students where we've, we've really got quite Perry Mason and reenacted <laughs> things, like <laughs> tried to show that it would be impossible that the, you know, the allegation is that someone, say, looked at someone's exam paper and then, you know, set up the room and this person was seated here and that person was there and can you yeah. see their paper, you know. So yeah. it's possible to do those sorts of things in these um, settings, but it's probably not really encouraged. Yeah. And to be fair, I think in, in the vast majority of cases, it's it's reasonably open and shut. There's a sort of a strict liability character of these things. Mm. If you've broken the rules and you can be demonstrated to have broken the rules and that can't be contested then you kind of got to got to wear it and then maybe just about some mitigation or something Mm. but in complex cases these things can really um, not be done very well sometimes if you've just joined us you're listening to done by law on 3cr 855 am we'll take a short break and join us after the break when phoebe will talk to us a bit more about what happens um, or what what some other options might be for students who aren't happy with the way that the university uh, made its decision and the processes that it used uh, welcome back to Done by Law. We're joined again by Phoebe Churches from Advocacy and Legal at University uh, of Melbourne Student Union. Um, so for the non-lawyers out there, um, over many years the law has developed certain rules about processes, um, such as those seen at u- universities known as administrative law. And administrative law is a special body of laws that governs decisions made by governments and its agencies. Um, so they can include ensuring a person has an opportunity to meet the case um, against him or her and to be judged by an impartial decision maker. Um, so, so Phoebe, are universities bound by administrative law and concepts like natural justice? Uh, yes, they they certainly are. Um, there's a considerable body of case law that establishes the application of um, of procedural fairness, particularly the mm. principles of procedural fairness that you just outlined, amongst others, um, to university administrative decisions. Um, and uh, there is a fairly um, yeah, there's a fairly uh, consistent a- attempt to apply those principles mm. in you know, where they're usually attracted sort of rights, interests, legitimate expectations of, of students being affected by decisions, yeah. And, and how successful are those attempts? Uh, look, by and large, you know, in straightforward cases, um, I'd say it's reasonably encouraging um, if, if there's uh, a fairly um, un- uncomplicated set of facts mm. um, and reasonable sort of amount of evidence, uh, universi- universities tend to, to do those things, you know, perfectly well and they, they allow, they understand that they have to allow the student uh, knowledge about the evidence relied on, the case to be met, an opportunity to put that together and mm. to, to present it either verbally or in writing and, and a right to review of that um, impartially. So, and most universities would do that you know, pretty well, yeah. I would say, in straightforward matters. 
And, and you mentioned um, before we went to the break um, that if an allegation's made, it's a strict liability offence, which basically means that if you're found to have done what has been alleged, then you're guilty of that offence. Um, what types of um, mechanisms are available to enforce um, that finding of guilt? Um, and, and what do the penalties typically look like? Uh, okay. Well, the, there's there's usually a, a reasonable range of penalties. So there's you know some capacity to um, uh, to produce proportionate mm. results. Um, again, in some cases, there's not a sufficient range of penalties, and that can be a problem with proportionality. Um, but usually, uh, it would range from something like a, a warning or a reprimand, or something that might be recorded, but um, only for reference if there's another matter, mm. um, all the way through um, in academic cases it could be mark mark penalties or failing subjects, that sort of thing, withholding of credit for things. Uh, in general misconduct there can be fines, community service, that sort oh, of really? thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, up to the pointy end, which would be suspensions or even exclusion, um, termination of enrolment, which is a permanent expulsion mm. from the university. Is there any other? Is there any policy or other process to ensure consistency in those decision making in relation to sentence, so to speak? Yeah. Look again. I I, I suspect strongly that um, some some um, universities do that more um, rigorously than than others. Um, again, at Melbourne University at the moment, it's there's uh, an acknowledgement that consistency and proportionality are very important, but there's not really a, a clear mechanism to to achieve that. And, uh, I mean, we've, we've talked about some of the deficiencies um, within the system, whether that's at particular universities or on a more systemic level. Um, I mean, are there any changes that you think um, should be put in place to make the process a bit fairer for students? Uh, look, I think at this stage, I think training, making sure that there is um, really sound training for anyone who sits uh, in a committee at whatever level it's very important mm. and that um, those committees operate with, with basic knowledge and regard, having regard to, you know, the sort of standard legal principles that we'd expect beyond just the right to be heard and, you know, uh, an unbiased decision maker um, and, you know, an understanding of how to make that sort of bottom-up proportionate <laughs> decision, yeah. how to weigh evidence, mm. um, what sort of inquiries you, you really must make um, those sorts of things would would really, you know, training committee members and familiarity with that sort of thing would make a big difference, I think, at this stage. Um, and there's not a lot of um, impetus in some ways to necessarily do that because there's a very narrow jurisdiction for judicial review of these mm. of these sorts of matters, and there's virtually no avenue at sort of administrative and merit review at um, at the AAT or something similar because those. Uh, the jurisdictions created by the legislation and yeah. the legislation for universities doesn't generally include bodies such as the AAT. So. so so, I think the judicial review process would be off to the Supreme Court, which is um, not something people generally do lightly. So. No, and it's the... Yeah. I, th I think since 2005, the, uh, the, the jurisdiction was narrowed by the um, High Court decision okay. in right. uh, Queensland University in Tang, which if you're, you know, mm. if that sort of thing floats your boat, you should... <laughs> Check it out. It's a great decision. No, it's a pretty bad decision. Um, we haven't covered it, but I think students do have a right to representation and it's probably a good introduction just to hear a bit more about what advocacy and legal, your, your 
organisation do and the CLC um, can do for students. And I think um, part of that's probably not, not this type of thing, but actually just helping students with the legal problems that they confront as students. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. So the um, uh, the division that uh, that I work in um, is divided into two co-located services, and the the, the legal the legal service is actually a, a a very small CLC, and it does all of the usual work that a community legal centre would do. Um, and it's uh, it's it's um, uh, focused completely on uh, students, enrolled students at Melbourne Uni. And what are some of the key areas of issues that come up? Uh, it's uh, probably fairly typical bread and butter of a of a, a community legal centre. Students are just people with you know same sorts of legal issues. Mm. So um, I, I think at this at this time, tenancy is probably the number one um, uh, hit, and uh, other sorts of things, fines, debts, scams can be quite a big problem apparently for students. Um, consumer, really the. Uh, motor vehicle accidents, insurance, you know, the list goes on. Um, uh, but, yeah, the usual things that, uh, that, that people who don't have much money, mm. <laughs> uh, which, you know, by and large students, even Melbourne Uni students, are paying a lot for their education. And how do students access the service? Is it... Um, uh, initially, um, the the main uh, the main form of um, advice would be telephone advice for the, in the first instance, and um, you know that actually is is pretty successful in in resolving um, matters fairly efficiently. We do quite a lot of advice only work on the telephone, um, but the service does have the capacity to to to, um, to open files and do some rep- some limited representational work, and um, you know depending on the complexity. Great. And, and is the service available to international students as well? Yep, it's available to all. And all you have to do is be enrolled at Melbourne University and you can access the service. Easy. Um, and just quickly, is it the advocacy program that do the representation work for the... Internally, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we were just um, talking before uh, off-air that, yeah. um, that most of those discipline um, processes at, at most universities would actually... Um, uh, actively preclude legal practitioners from from repre- without special leave anyway from representing students. So um, we do we have a different we have a different service doing that. Great. Well, uh, Phoebe, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. It's been a very interesting topic. Um, I'm hopefully our listeners have learnt um, something a little bit about universities and disciplinary procedures um, and where to go um, to get help if they're studying at Melbourne University. But I assume there are similar. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Um, Organisations at other universities. Yeah, most universities have a, have a legal service for students. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and rights officers to assist if, if people are... That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you've been listening to Done By Law. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.